You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Do you remember when Jeremy came into town uh, back in, what was it, April? It was several months ago. Mm-hmm. So he, he came in town and he was staying downtown. And I had to go pick him up for the uh, for the event that night. And he was staying over the next day. And so he and I were talking, and he really wanted to play while he was here. I don't think I told you this. He wanted to play at Colonial. Yeah, I remember PG, you told me about PGA that. course, right? And so I'm, he's like, I'd really love to play that. You know, it's a really well-known course. And I was like, okay, well, who do I, you know, who do I know that is a member there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to. Who, who can I call that is in town and can take the day off tomorrow and take Jeremy? I couldn't go, you know, so I had to really kind of pull, pull some strings and uh, I'm going through all this. And I, I finally just turned to, to Jeremy and I said, can't I just take you to the municipal course and tell you it's colonial? I mean, <laughs> you can't see it at all. Why, why are we going? What does it matter, what man? Is it, what does it? What does it matter? He started. He started laughing. At least he appreciated that. Yeah, you know. He found humor in the joke. He, he, at least. he did, I guess. Yeah that that would be a big bummer because ninety percent of the enjoyment of going and playing golf uh-huh. when you're as bad as I am, yeah, is that you're out in nature and it's pretty and the grass is green. Oh, yeah, some of the most beautiful places yeah. in the, you know, in the world are on the golf world, courses. Yeah, yeah, on the golf world, yeah, on golf courses. It's not I mean, I barely am there to play golf. Oh yeah. I'm mostly there because it's an excuse to like go for a walk through the park. Oh, that resort where we were staying where you you just did the triathlon oh, in, Hawaii? in in Hawaii. So we were on the Big Island in in Kona. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, staying in Conan, there's a resort, it's right on the beach and there's a golf course, of course, you know, right on the beach. And so you guys had to go through that, but it's just beautiful. I mean, it's right there on the, the waves. And I mean, it's just immaculate. Yeah. yeah. Running that course, I was thinking, geez, I want to play golf tomorrow. Gosh, <laughs> I can't want to come out here and play golf. Yeah. And it was like, I had no illusion of really playing golf well no it was just that uh, you get to be in this like, there, beautiful you know? area yeah with the wind in your face yeah. and the ocean yeah today's guest on the podcast is jeremy points no he lost his sight at the age of 19 as a college student and only a year and a half later he became the 2010 world blind golf champion um he has since won two more world and eight national blind golf championships. He spends his time now focusing on inspiring people around the world by sharing his story as an inspirational speaker, workshop facilitator, and performance coach. He's been featured on ABC's 2020, CNN, MTV's True Life, and ESPN. We talked with Jeremy about the process of grief uh, that he had to overcome when he lost his sight as an adult, deciding to play professional golf as a blind person, the ways that his blindness can limit environmental distractions, um, how true excellent performance comes by and through risk management and the adaptation to change. I learned a lot. We both, Sean and I, had some uh, new insights in this conversation. I know that you will too. So sit back, enjoy our conversation with Jeremy Poinsano. I'm Sanger Smith with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. Jeremy, I cannot forgive you for giving Sean golf tips that actually work. <laughs> well, I heard it works for you too, Sanger. So you got to kind of fill me in. Have you guys yeah, we, hold any more shots since I saw you? Last? Oh yeah. Like only when we actually listen to what you said. Okay. Yeah. Cause then every now and then we'll get out there on the course. We golf like, uh, you know, around once a week and I'll be out there, but well, I'm going to try this out. Well, I'm, I'm like, going to try Jer- what Jeremy taught yeah. me. Yeah. And, and every single time it's like, you know, 60 yard chip in Good. That's, I <laughs> to think that's save amazing. double bogey. Hey, but you, you hold it. I mean, Sean sent me the video <laughs> like save, a week after I saw you guys. Double bogey. Yeah. Sean hold out. To the avoid, first... avoided the triple. Hey, we we actually it. played, uh, I think we played like 13 holes before we lost, before either of us lost a ball, which was a uh, major. That, and that's a huge, that like, I, I felt like tour ready after that, Jeremy. I was like, I didn't lose my ball. 
that's a measure of success for for Sean and me. Oh yeah, yeah, Singer, no I don't think you're getting a tour card anytime soon or or money offer from Liv. <laughs> Sorry, bud. <laughs> no, but see, the money that I'm saving by not buying a new box of like Pro V ones every single week. Yeah, evens out. It I think it is a big accomplishment. Yeah. It, it, Jeremy's not impressed by that at all, but no, he has no for, idea. In how. our world, that you know, I might as well, might as well be an elite athlete. Yeah. I'll smile <laughs> and nod, but yeah, I'm not that impressing. Sorry, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> immediately not impressed. He's, he's not impressed at all. <laughs> no, Jer- it, Jeremy was teaching me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Jeremy was showing me how to chip in. uh by kind of facing the hole rather than you know with you know perpendicular to it and uh it worked for me so it was uh yeah. well you got to explain that better what did so what did i teach you exactly because that's i didn't teach what what are you doing you people are going to hear this and go well, wait what did he say yeah you, you may not want credit for this after all you yeah. you taught me to rather than you know if i'm chipping rather than sort of swinging uh, with my, you know, with my shoulder towards the hole, you know, sort of looking, you know, kind of perpendicular to the hole. You taught me to kind of like face onto it. And I had the club at my side rather than front mm-hmm. of me and chipped in that way. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Maybe, I hear what you're saying. Maybe you told me it was okay and you just didn't see what I was doing. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I hate, I hate to say that. But no, I saw what you were doing. I think I think what you're. I think I wanted you to set up a little bit more open, and, and have the face a little open, and then you kind of work that way, and that was and, it, and yeah. it works. And, and if you can just have like a good chipping is all about rhythm, and golf is all about rhythm and tempo. And if you have a good one, two, uh, you'll hit many good shots. You know, t- talking about decision making, Sanger and I were talking about you know club selection and all this when we were playing golf, and. Uh, it almost doesn't matter what club we select on our decision, our decision-making in, in golf as we're uh, so bad. We're, we're so, mm-hmm. yeah, we're so horrible. We don't need to make good decisions with club selection because it really doesn't matter. It's a, that's the kind of quality golf we're playing. Man. But I, I think the exact I opposite is true. If you're like a high caliber, high caliber golfer, like you, your decision-making and your intention and your commitment to that intention is so important. Well, I was I was going to ask you what what percent of playing playing golf is decision making at at the appropriate level, not at not at our level, not at my level. But, you know, when you start to get really good at it, how much of that is skill versus decision making? Oh my gosh. Well, you need to have the skill to get to be a single digit handicap golfer, a scratch golfer, but when you're at that caliber, when you're at that level of, of a golfer, the decision-making is so important. And then the decisions become, okay, am I going to hit a knockdown shot and flight it lower and have less spin? Or am I going to play a higher shot with more spin? Is the pin in the front so I want it to spin? Or is the pin in the back and I don't want it to spin? There's so many variables to take into consideration. Wind, club selection, shot shot shape things of those nature that when you do get to that caliber you're like oh my gosh i'm inundated with decisions to make and you make the right one and you look like a pro you make the wrong one you look like sanger <laughs> and nobody wants that no, nobody wants no, that yeah, yeah. No, we, we all know so that you've been golfing basically your whole life right yeah yeah for sure yeah grew up, when, grew up playing the game yeah yeah and you you kind of played with your dad too yeah. My dad worked in the golf industry for 30 years. He came out here from France, worked at TaylorMade Golf for 10 years, Cleveland Golf for 10 years, Callaway for 10 years, uh, and Titleist for a little bit. But I grew up playing with my dad every Sunday from when I was 12 till I was 17. And that was that was our bonding time, our ritual. And, and I'm 32 now, and my dad and I played yesterday. And uh, I'm assuming the, the instruction that you were getting is a little bit different than what I was getting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. The ins- well, I never, well, my dad has never been my like main instructor by any means. Cause he's not a golf pro or anything like he's a good player, but I always have like a golf pro to go to for instruction. My dad will give me little tips here and there. And, and definitely it helps me out with some little chipping things and things he notices. Cause he's with me on every shot. But, um, 
I try to have my instruction come from someone other than him. So it's not all uh, from him. I, I want him to be my guide, not my instructor. Okay. Tell me, well, tell me about the difference between those two. Well, so, you know, being a blind golfer. And guide versus blind, instructor. Right, right. So being <laughs> legally blind and being a blind golfer, like my dad is my guide. So he helps me on every single shot. So he's telling me the whole, what part is the length, uh, anything we need to know about what do we want to hit off of the T driver, three wood hybrid, long iron, whatever. We'll we'll discuss those things. So he's he's my guide. He's helping me out on every single shot. He's helping me, and he's a part of our decision making together. Um, so he's helping me with all of that. When it comes to instruction, who's looking at my golf swing, being technical with uh, how I go about my swing, my chipping, my putting, things like that. I want it to come from a PGA professional who knows what they're talking about, who has the experience, yeah. who has the, the education behind all of that. Um, Cause I, I don't, my dad's with me for every single shot and it's tense and it's, it's competitive. Um, I don't want him to also say, yeah, you know, I really noticed this with your swing that doesn't go well. Yeah. Okay. So is it, does it not go well because it disrupts the dynamics of the relationship or for another reason? I think I think it disrupts the dynamics of the relationship. I think it's something that I want I want us to stay as positive as humanly possible on the course and in golf. You're never going to hit every shot well. So when something goes awry, or you know you hit a ball OB, or in a in a penalty area, or you miss a short putt, I don't want my dad to try to get technical with me. Like I'm not good at being under competitive pressure and then getting technical. Um, I want to be comfortable, yeah. confident. It and seems like I don't the wrong think about things. It seems like that would even be the wrong time to get technical. One hundred percent. It can't 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 go off and take a hundred practice swings before the next hole. Yeah, and I don't really want to be going into the next hole thinking, man, if I really do this on the downswing, that's going to be. I feel like that's <laughs> yeah. the, the beginning of the end if I start doing that. So, how long were you golfing before you realized that you were good at it? Mm. Uh, years. I mean, I definitely like for a couple of years was playing and was like, oh, this is cool. Like it's something I can do with my dad. It's something I could do with my mom. It's something I can do with friends. And then when I got into middle school, we had a middle school golf team and I joined the team and was like, okay, like I'm, I'm decent. And then when I got into high school, I uh, was on the JV team freshman year. So I felt good, but not great. And then sophomore year, I made the varsity team and was like, okay, um, I'm shooting, you know, in the thirties and nine holes now, like I'm, I'm good. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, I would say kind of sophomore year of high school is when I felt like I was good. But then I think my junior year of high school, I played in a tournament with Ricky Fowler where he was in the tournament and yeah, I, I knew I was not going to play D one college golf. Like the, the quality of golf, uh, in San Diego, California is pretty high, Like there, there's some really good golfers out here. When did you when did you lose sight or begin to to notice you were losing your sight? Yeah, it was my sophomore year of college at San Diego State University. I was walking around on campus with a group of friends. Noticed I had to squint to read a sign and thought, okay, uh, I've got roommates and fraternity brothers who wear glasses. Like, I guess it's my time. And over a period of a couple months, my vision drastically deteriorated and essentially I had no central vision in my right eye at the time that's what caused me to squint and a couple months later my left eye lost central vision as well and uh, rendered me legally blind which I've now been legally blind for over 13 years now so how did you deal with that you know as a you know at, at that point and what made you decide you're going to still pursue golf I mean that would be probably the least of my concerns if I'm dealing yeah. with that 100%. It was the least of my concerns. I, I wasn't thinking golf at all. Um, I was in the prime of my life. Everything was going great. I'm 19 years old. I'm in a fraternity. I'm at a great college. Everything's awesome. And then all of a sudden, in a few months, uh, I'm legally blind. Um, and, and being for me, what legal blindness means is I have no central vision. So I tell people if they put one hand on top of the other, put it in front of their face and look around a little bit. That's what my sight's like all the time. I have complete peripheral vision, but I've got nothing in the middle. And I had to go through the stages of grief, right? Uh, denial. I denied that what had happened, it actually happened. Mm. I went to anger, which is very real. Um, I then went to bargaining. I pleaded. I said, please, whatever I need to do to make things go back to the way they were, I'll do it. 
when they didn't, uh, I fell into depression, uh, which I think has a stigma behind it. But I, I went and saw a blind psychologist for a year and a half. And then I finally reached the fifth stage, which is acceptance. But research says it takes on average two years to go from a traumatic life experience to reaching acceptance. And I would say it took maybe a little less time than that for me, but you also don't reach acceptance and then never visit one of the first four stages. So kind of had to go through those. And my mom introduced me to blind golf and found out on the internet that there's blind golf, there's tournaments all over the world. And she thought it was going to be perfect for me. And I, uh, when she presented it to me, I was not interested at all. I thought she was kidding. Um, because I, I kind of, I had an expectation level of how I could perform as a sighted golfer and I didn't want to embarrass myself as a blind golfer. And, and so I, I wasn't really interested for a period of time. What did the psychologist tell you? I mean, what did they share with you about how to, how to deal with it? Yeah, he, he was great because being a blind psychologist, he was totally blind. So he could empathize where my friends and my family could sympathize. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, I couldn't imagine that's got to be tough. And when a friend of mine said, well, at least you still have some sight. I'm like, you're not wrong. But I also, you know, you kind of don't really know what you're talking about. It, it was hard to take that from somebody like they had good intentions. But when you hear that, and you're all of a sudden legally blind, you're like not willing to hear that from certain people. So talking to a, I would a bet, psychologist. I would bet that anyone that couldn't really share a personal experience with you um, is it, almost like unlistenable. Like, shut up. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I, as long as the intentions are good, like I'm definitely, I'm listening. But at that time when it's so yeah. raw and so new, it's so hard to, to like have a smile on and be like, yeah, you're totally right, man. Thank you. Uh, but the yeah. blind psychologist was great because he was totally blind. And as I'm talking to him and vent what he allowed me to vent, which was really nice. And I would complain about things, but you know, here I would kind of look at him and see him as someone who's totally blind and is a professional. He's, he's a professional psychologist. He has a wife, he has children. And yeah. I was just like, huh, you know, if this guy's totally blind and can have a wife and children and a family and a career, like I'm 19 years old and legally blind, like I can still live a good life. So I, I thought he just, he just embodied something that, that made me feel good that my, my life and my world wasn't over. It's so important being seen, you know, it, I, and I, no pun intended, but no, sure. being right. witnessed, right? Yeah. Saying, oh, wow, this person you know, they can kind of really see me for who I am, um, in a way that nobody else can, nobody else can, can, can empathize with our unique specific issues sometimes. And, and I know I didn't really think too much about what it would be like to be blind before I met and talked with you. Mm -hmm. like, geez, I can't, I can't even imagine. I mean, Jeremy's sitting here creating a picture for me and I still have no idea. Yeah. I still can't really imagine what I would react, you know, what my reaction would be, how I would operate day to day. Um, and so I can only imagine being 19 and having other people who nothing's gone wrong. Well, tell I, you I can imagine good. that was, that would yeah. be really helpful to talk with that person because I, I remember when, when we had, we, we all had dinner together and we, we went through an experience where we, we had dinner and they shut all the blinds. We put blindfolds, you know, on, and we were all eating w without seeing a single thing. Mm -hmm. And there was such a temptation to lift up that blindfold, to, yeah. to, to cheat at it, to, to yeah. peek and go, Oh, yeah. well, what is, you know, what is this? Did, you know, I can't get this on my fork. You know, let me, you know. Yeah, let me just get it. It's, I've been digging at this little potato for five minutes. Yeah, let me let me just, I just peek. I'll just look real right. quick, grab it, and move on. Right. And yeah. you know, to not be able to scratch that itch, to not you know, to not be able to do that, must have had a level of frustration. I don't. I don't even know. I didn't even talk to you about your experience during that dinner because you you had the blindfold on just like I did, mm -hmm. and you lost peripheral sight, which I, right. I would imagine you rely on. Uh, tremendously, you know, kind of move around and see things. How did, how was that experience for you? Well, still one of the best 
dinners I've had this year, like one of the best meals. Uh, <laughs> food was dang good. Uh, Thanks to John John Bonnell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was such good food. Um, so that was phenomenal. And then, um, yeah, it was it was an uncomfortable experience even for me because I'm I'm in this middle world, right? I have a foot in the blind world and a foot in the sighted world, but I'm not fully in either. Uh, so to strip me from my peripheral vision, I was uncomfortable as well. I was having to try things, do new things and be in an, uh, uncomfortable position. But, um, yeah. And I, and I think that's the interesting part is like you guys and, and even I can take that blindfold off and go back to what I know and what I'm used to. And that's the, the difference is the challenges of people who are totally blind don't have that luxury. Yeah. Yeah. The, one of the interesting things to me, um, when we were having that meal was how, um, people really like felt in the social setting felt a lot more pronounced, I would say in their Mm. natural mode. So like the extroverted Mm. people that we were with, they were dominating the conversation and, (laughs) and I, I didn't say anything. Yeah, I was. I'm not, I'm not so sure you quiet. were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, right. but that was a that was a function of everyone being blind. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I can I can only imagine being someone who is not not super comfortable in large crowds, uh, being blind, um, and having to deal with with people like I get what I noticed when I when when I was silent was that the reason I was silent was nobody was pulling me in. Right, they couldn't sure. see me. Right. They couldn't see me and I couldn't see them. So I had even fewer tools than I normally have to be able to connect. And when I have all of those tools, I don't connect. Yeah. You, did, you didn't have to nod your head or yeah. look at who was speaking. There was, or, no, I, I was just, I was listening. Yeah. I was paying yeah. attention, but I wasn't going to jump in being blind in that moment. I don't know. What was that experience like for you adjusting to just a social group? Where, Knowing that everybody couldn't see you either. Right. Well, yeah. Could, it, I'm right. saying I'm saying when you when you lost in your general, sight and people oh, can see you yeah. and you're like oh geez what, you know how do I interact? Yeah, it's difficult and it's something that you kind of get you got to get okay with dealing with awkward situations and not get too freaked out, nervous, and uncomfortable with them. You just got to know that they're going to happen and you got to be able to laugh it off. It took me years to be comfortable with that, but even now when we're in this COVID world where you know for, you know, we had to be separated by at least six feet. And so I would do backyard hangouts with group of groups of friends and someone would say, Hey, how was your weekend? And I'm like, are you talking to me? Like, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't have like, if I'm two feet, three feet from you having just a normal conversation, I know when you're looking at me and talking to me, but if there's eight people at a circular table and someone says, says, how was your weekend? And they're looking directly at me if I can't tell that they're looking at me, I wait a little bit. And then I might say, wait, you're asking me. And then they're like, yeah. And, and then I kind of have this mental gymnastics of, Oh God, like I, geez, I hope they don't, you know, think I was being rude or something, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's difficult because I also quote unquote, look sighted, right. I, I put this central blur on people's eyes and make them feel as comfortable as humanly possible, even though they're blurred out to me. But uh, that's what is also interesting. I'm kind of incognito with this. I don't use a guide dog or a cane, so I don't look blind when I'm out in public. So it's, it's pretty interesting. What were some of the decisions you were faced with when you came to the realization that you were legally blind? I mean, what did you, what changed in your life other than the sight? I mean, what did you have to, to deal with? Well, I was in college at the time. And so a, a big decision was whether or not I go back to school or if I drop out. And there's so many people who are successful dropouts out there that I just thought I could take the easy way out of this drop out of college and just kind of do whatever at home, sulk, complain about this whole thing. Um, And I really wanted to, but I didn't. Um, And I I could have easily just kind of stayed in this pity party of woe is me. Why did this happen? And, And just have a lot of philosophical questions that you don't have answers to, but you can wallow in that for a long time. But Someone told me something once that, that has resonated with me, and they said that you're allowed to visit the poor me house, but you aren't allowed to move in. And mm. I thought that was really powerful because 
there's a lot of times we go through difficult situations in business and in life and we we want to like we see tv shows and movies where people just immediately like i'm okay everything's going to be okay and they move forward but that's not reality and you you need to you need to be bummed out for a period of time um and and whatever that duration is is up to you but you can't move into that you have to you have to move forward and I, I thought that was really meaningful, something that I still remember to this day, I still think about something I try to share with others. And, you know, if someone's newly diagnosed with this condition, I have LHON, um, I, I tell them that, like, you're allowed to visit the poor me house, you're allowed to go there, spend time, but just don't move in. And and I'm, I'll be there to help you get out of it. And and there is a brighter future. Um, they might not see it, pun intended, but there there is. And I think those are some of the decisions that I had to deal with. And, and and see what I was going to do, I guess. The, the decision to move in and, and start playing blind golf, uh, mm. your mom introduced you to that. Um, now you, when did you win that tournament that, uh, you were telling me about? Yeah. So I think I've maybe, my dad worked at Callaway at the time before I'd lost my sight, he had gotten me a new set of irons. Then I lost my sight like October, November. Then he goes, okay, he has this difficult question. Do I give him the irons or do I not? Mm-hmm. He's like, you know what? For Christmas, he's like, I'm, I'm going to give him the irons, whatever. And he gave them to me and I was, I thought it was a sick joke and I wasn't really happy about it. Like if I was fully excited, I'd be elated. I'd be ready to go play him the next day. But I was just like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, I felt like he was dangling a carrot in front of a guy who couldn't see the carrot. Um, but I was just like, oh man. So I want to say in early January, I finally said, Hey, you know what, dad, I'll go to the driving range with you. I'll hit some balls. Like I can't really embarrass myself too much at the range. Like people aren't following me, watching me. I'm not slowing up play. Like I'm at the range. So I said, I'll go with you. And I said, if I swing and miss, if I miss a shot, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Just completely whiff the ball. If I completely whiff the ball, I'm done. Um, which, which is a thing in blind golf. You hear it. Maybe other folks do it. If you do that, we call that maybe fish. other folks do it. And and we call oh that fish. Goodness. It's yeah. an acronym stands for F it's still here. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's definitely a thing. But, uh, I went to the driving range with my dad in January. I hit shots and, uh, I didn't miss any, didn't fish it. So I was like, okay, you know what? This is, uh, this okay i think after a week or so i said if you want to go to the course i'll I'll play with you and so we did and i hit some good shots didn't score well at all but i was just like okay like there's 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 a path here and i think we played in uh, a tournament in october of that year and we played in one i think in august and then one in october and then the following august um, we competed in our first world blind golf championship in England out of 60 competitors from 14 different countries. We were in a playoff to win and we ended up chipping in in the playoff to, to win the world championship together oh, as a that's team. So cool. That yeah. is so cool. It was amazing. Walk me, walk me through how that happens. You know, so as a blind golfer, obviously you, you can't see the distance, you can't see the pin, you know, or even the, even the direction. How is that? What are the mechanics of how that's happening? Just kind of walk through that. So which shot do you want me to talk to? Like a, a full shot off the tee, a chip shot, a putt? Well, I I remember when you and I, you and I were hitting a, f- a few, right? Yeah. And the, <laughs> you said, you, you said, you know, tell me sort of where the flag is and how far it is out, right? Yeah. And and I remember saying, okay, well, the, there's the, you know, the first flag is about 185 yards. And then there's, you know, the other, you know, it's it's in front of that other one that's about 200 yards. And, and you said, Sean, if I could see the flags, I wouldn't need your, your help. And so you, you had had me sort of, you know, on this drive, uh, kind of point in the right direction and kind of give some, you know, move a little left, move a little right, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. I think it, it would seem like the drive is probably the easiest shot because somebody can just get, you can kind of give it all you got, I guess, uh, somebody can give you a distance and direction, but mm-hmm. How do you, what are the mechanics of how you go from there? Yeah. So I think anybody who knows anything about golf could really guide me, uh, right off the bat. And I just tell them how to do it on the first hole. And I agree if I'm driving it well, um, then it's just like, Hey, point me, 
five yards left of center and hopefully I put a little five yard cut on it to the middle of the fairway. And, and what they do is just look at my feet and it's a little, it's like a video game. When I step over the ball, I can see the ball down there with my periphery. I'm looking a little above it, but they tell me with my feet to go left or right. And, and then when they say good, I, I pull the trigger and hit the shot. But yeah, from there, it's, it's a lot of communication. It's okay. Now we're, let's say we're in the fairway. We hit a good drive and we have 160 yards. Okay. Is it 160 yards to a middle flag? no wind okay for me that's a stock eight iron so same thing as the driver i'll pull the eight iron do a practice swing point me in the direction and same thing with the feet say go left or right and then i hit the shot and then we kind of deal with it from there if i miss the green we we have a chip shot if i hit the green we have a putt and again a lot of communication as to where it is when i get closer to the hole if i'm let's say inside 20 25 yards i'll walk it um, from my ball to the hole to really get a feel of the distance, um, to see where Just the flag is. Yeah. So if it's, if it's 20 okay, yards, so I'll this, walk it and feel it. Jeremy, does this prove this exercise? You, you, you find the ball and yeah, we're 20 yards away. You're going to walk, step to the pin and then turn around step back and just kind of feel how things are. Um, that means that stepping on someone's line is like not worth getting mad about. Right. Uh, I avoid people's lines. I mean, you're doing it to your own line. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing it to my own line. But if my thing is, if I'm doing it to my own line and I chip it, but because I walked it off, I chip it to four feet rather than if I don't walk it off, I chip it to 15 feet because I wasn't fully aware of the situation. Uh, I'll take a four foot putt with a little bit of uh, my my footprints on it than a 15 footer with no footprints. All right, fair enough. <laughs> fair Debunked. enough. It, what what's interesting to to hear you talk about is you know you always talk about we like you and your dad as a team For sure. um you give the team credit you give the team the you know the team fails the team wins how do you i would imagine that you kind of figured out this team dynamic together as a team instead of there's not, what i mean by that is there's not like or maybe I'm wrong, a traditional approach on how blind golfers and guides work together and what decisions they make as a team. Yeah, really well said. Uh, I definitely agree with that. I think each, if you go to a blind golf tournament, each team of blind golfer and guide do things differently. Um, and my dad and I have kind of worked it out to do it the way we do it. And we do it differently now than we did it 12 years ago. Um, there's little things that he used to do that, you know, he used to point and say the fairway goes from here to here. Then there's a bunker on the right side here. And then right of the bunker is water. And, you know, I'm, I'm not visually distracted by anything. So it's all about my thoughts. And if, if I, if I have it in my head that right of the fairway is a bunker and right of that is water, that's all I'm thinking about over the tee. So yeah. it's, we've kind of honed in, like, I don't need to know that. So I literally just say, Hey, Point me in the direction. Let's hit the shot. If there's something I need to know, like, hey, you need to hit this over 200 yards. Okay. That at least that's helpful for me to know that it's better to be long than short. So, um, yeah, we've definitely honed in a teamwork chemistry that works for the two of us. And we're, we're always improvising. We're always changing. Uh, nothing's in cement. It's very fluid. And, and that's each really turn that we try new things. It was really interesting. You intentionally want to be unaware of risks or dangers that aren't uh, aren't helpful. And yeah, I mean, what that's how, a, that's e yeah. like to think that's really easy to do. I mean, because I would, I would, I would have done that too. Like, oh, there's water over there. Yeah, and watch out for the the lake or yeah, whatever. Yeah, there's big big sand trap over there. Whatever, um, not necessary. Uh, it's kind of like the pink elephant, you know, try to not think of a pink elephant. Now all I can do is everybody think about this pink elephant. elephant. When Sean and I golf, you know, it, it, anytime we acknowledge that we're doing well, like, ah, oh, man, I haven't hit one in the water all day. <laughs> the next yeah. one. I mean, it's going in yeah. the water because now I'm thinking about the water. <laughs> when, yeah. when we play, I intentionally tell Sanger about those things. Watch out for the yeah. water over there. Uh, don't let those guys behind us distract you. Because I mean, we do need to uh, hurry, but don't let that. Don't make that. You know, don't feel rushed. Uh, you know, as any competitor. I think should. that that can apply to. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> can apply to so many areas of life though. You know, what, what do I really yeah. need to know? Do I need to know all the ways that this could go wrong? Right. Or maybe there are some ways that it could go wrong that aren't going to help me make a decision right now. Yeah. I think there's a I lot think of that paralysis can in by business, analysis that can happen there. in personal life. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think I, I don't want to know all the trouble, all the danger, because if I do, I think it's not going to allow me to hit the best shot that I can. Uh, if I have my mind cluttered with stuff that isn't going to help me, what's, what's the point? How, how long was it till you figured that out? Because it, that would seem like a natural thing. If I'm describing a hole to you, you know, here's where the bunker, here's the water, here's the, you know, here's the tree. Did, did you feel that right off the bat that it was more helpful for you to have that focus, uh, sort of imposed on you by virtue of not having all these distractions or did that come about later? Uh, it came about later. I mean, it definitely, I would say we played in those first three tournaments where my dad would explain everything. And then maybe yeah. we started playing some courses in Florida where there was a ton of water and it was like, you know what? I'm just not feeling comfortable over my shots. And I think the reason for that is because I have way too much information. I, when I know there's water left, water right, and a very tight fairway, like how do I put a confident swing on this? So uh, I think it was, yeah, after a period of time, we, we were like, you know what, let's, let's go with this idea for a while of not telling me everything. And we've been doing it for over a decade now. The, the team dynamics, like I was saying earlier, that's got to be, it, it sounds like it works really, really well. What were the decisions that y'all had to make to figure out how to work together you know, beyond not talking about the water, like, like who makes the decision? I mean, if you're talking about a, uh, I think this is a seven iron shot here and your dad says, no, nah, you know, I think it's a, I think you need an eight iron after you've all given the information. Oh, that's a good question. You, yeah. Yeah. That is a good question. It's something that if he has a disagreement or doesn't agree with what I think, um, he needs to, have some pretty strong evidence to believe that if I'm, if I'm ready to go, or if I feel comfortable with the shot, if he's going to talk me out of that shot, he's got to have good valid points and reasons for, for why he thinks it should be something else. And if it doesn't go well, there's no revisionist history. There's no, Hey, like I said, we should know. I none told of that. you so. Yeah, yeah. no, that's not going to help anybody. Um, and communication is extremely key. Um, I want everything to be elevated positively. If I hit a okay shot, guess what? It's a good shot. If I hit a good shot, it's a great shot. Um, because doing that just builds my confidence. Um, he's not allowed to say the word way. Uh, there's no, it went way left. It went way right. You just tell <laughs> him it's left or it's right. I'm saying way is not going to benefit me uh whether oh, it's because it puts a it puts a value judgment on the direction oh that's interesting yeah because if it's if it's 10 yards left or 40 yards left just say it's left and to be honest i can feel it when i make impact how far left it's probably going it's rare <laughs> for me to be shocked that i hit a horrible shot if i thought it was good so if he says way it's kind of kicking me while while i'm down it's like i and felt you're gonna that you're gonna go trudge through the rough and figure it out anyway yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but he likes to say know that when you're lose, knee lose. high in the weeds looking for your yeah. ball i'm just i'm, I'm, I'm imagining it. i'm imagining me being blind hitting it off the tee you go it's left and uh five minutes later i got you got no idea where my ball is yeah <laughs> well, we have no yeah, that's why my dad says it's a lose lose he says you know i if i hit a if I hit it left and he says left, but then we go and my ball's lost, then I'm mad at him because, well, what do you mean? You said it was just a little left or he says, but I, I, I don't, I kind of on the same line. I don't, he's not allowed to say hook or slice. Same kind mm. of thing. Like if it's drawing, maybe it's drawing a little further than we want, or it's fading a little further, but okay. hook and slice are not terms that are going to help my confidence level uh, on the golf course. So if, if, those are things that you need for to people that are not like, golfing yeah. a lot, right? Uh, a hook versus a, a hook and a slice versus a draw and a fade are more so more, I, from my standpoint, more so about like the intentionality in the shot, right? 
I mean, Whether a hook and a slice have like 90 degrees shot, turns. Right. A hook is going yeah. for a right-handed golfer, 90 degrees left. A slice is going 90 degrees right. Uh, a fade and a draw is a lot more gentler than that. Uh, and I might hit a hook, but my dad cannot say it's a hook. He can say it's drawing, and maybe it's drawing a little too much, but uh, he's he's not allowed to have those words in his vocabulary when we're on the golf course. If he said I it like that, that yeah, I would I would leave him on the tee, and you wouldn't you wouldn't hear from him again. Yeah. <laughs> I like that concept a lot. You know, give me the information that I need. Don't give me more information than what I need. That's a real challenge for a lot of analytical people uh, yeah. who really like to have the info. You know, really want to have the info. Um, I'm sure in the, in your case, you know, it didn't take long to figure out, hey, I don't like it when you tell me there's water and I can't stop thinking about the water. But right. but in business, I, I think we do it to ourselves as leaders all the time. And we don't know because the results are not as obvious and instant as hitting the ball into the water. Right. Yeah. It is. Well, uh, well here's all the ways that this product could fail. Here are all the ways that this, you know, we could um suffer economically this quarter here are all the ways that this could just not work out and we outline every single risk and in some cases like yeah well it's good good to talk about it i guess you know i don't want to not know the risks well I, th I think there's a difference between introducing you know specific facts that somebody needs to make a good decision and introducing facts that are going to cause them to move to an emotional state where the decision making gets worse yeah yeah. yeah, some people want to get all of that information and some people who are legally blind or blind might be on the course and that's what they want to know. But for me, I've learned that I play better golf when I don't know all of that information. But some people out there, if they like it, like you said, Singer, if they like having all the information and it helps them, then that's what they should do. But you kind of need to learn what works best for you. Yeah. You know, you know when clients will talk about, you know, you, you, know, you think we're going to go into a recession. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that, yeah, probably, sure. you, know, you know, I just got to, yeah, sure. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lament over it, you know, because that's not helping in your decision-making. If we dwell on, you know, put a bunch of fear into your head yeah. that, you know, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's yeah. uh, that's, that's not for your good for your decision-making framework. Yeah. On, that's, I think that's the best example to the water is to say, well, what if we go into a recession? Well, we could go into a recession. We could go into a recession at any point this year, this year, we could go into right. a recession. Well, geez. I mean, you could also hit it into the water yeah. and, right. and you know what, I, even on a hole that doesn't have any water, I guess you could hit it into the woods or the parking mm -hmm. lot or the wherever right. you yeah. could yank it off somewhere too. And it, the point being, I guess, is that if it goes bad, it's going to be bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What mm -hmm. is that going to, but focusing on how bad it could go is not going to help us make things go right. And it's not going to help us focus on the things that we can control. You know, I heard, I heard a good example of that. They, somebody was talking about, uh, well, do you think Congress is going to pass this new tax legislation yeah. or you know, whatever they were going to, you know, whatever thing they were going to pass. And so the, what I said was, imagine you're playing a baseball game. And in the seventh inning, they're going to come in and the rules are going to change. You, you don't know what those rules are going to be, but they're going to be different. But we don't know yet. We're in inning one. What would you do? Well, the answer is you, you would do nothing different. You would play right. the best baseball, baseball you yeah. can, play by the rules you know, and then when those rules change, you adapt and you play yeah. based on those rules. Yeah, and so I said, we, that bridge when you get to it. Yeah, we, we're not going to know and we don't know. So let's play by the fundamental rules we know now. This is how we'll do it. As long as we're not making irrevocable decisions, um, just play by the play by these rules. We just don't make any irrevocable decisions. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Yeah. What other decisions do you and your dad have to work through that are important to having a successful um, round of golf? Um, I think it's like playing good golf and shooting low scores is sometimes boring, but boring is good. Um, we wouldn't know anything mm, about yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you're 260 yards out and you know your three wood isn't going to get there, most a lot of people will pull out three wood and hit it as hard and as far as they can and then put yeah. themselves in trouble and then make a much larger score than 
they could have mm. or, or so should. Why, why does that put them in trouble? Because the, the long distance gives you more potential they're, to they're trying to make to a 240 off. yard club go 260 yards yeah and if, if you're somebody who hits your three wood straight then that's fine but i see so many amateurs pull out a three wood because they're you know that's the longest club they can hit from the fairway and they're going to try to rip it and get it as close to the green as possible if you hit it straight i'm not knocking that but if you don't my thought process is okay you're not going to get it to the green what's the best shot you can hit to leave yourself a third shot that is a comfortable number for you that you know you'll then put on the green and maybe get close to the hole. Um, so it's it's really minimizing your mistakes as much as humanly possible. Uh, let's say I have a chip shot and it's over a bunker and there's only five paces from the where the green starts to where the flag is, but then there's another 20 paces behind the flag. Well, some people will stand over that shot chipping over the bunker and think I'm going to land this soft right over the bunker and it's going to trickle to the hole. That's a great thought. But if you put 10 balls down, how many times are you going to actually pull that shot off? And if I'm not going to pull that shot off a majority of the time, I'm going to really be thinking about landing the ball at the flag or a little beyond it. So I have a guaranteed putt. So it's a, a less risky brand of golf. Right. It's a less risky brand of golf, but that's the difference between shooting uh, a 79 and an 83. That's the difference between shooting yeah. in the 80s or in the 90s. It's it's managing your managing your misses. It's it's course management and knowing. And that's to me, that's what the decision making is. I feel like I could shave strokes off both of your games if I was just I, if I didn't even hit a shot and I sat in the cart with you and just told you what club to play, how to play it, where to aim. And, and you might say, I'm going to hit the three when I say, nope, you're going to hit a five iron. What? I, why would I hit a five? You're just going to hit a five mm. iron. Um, and I think a lot of people are yeah, Do also, the boring, do the simple. Yeah, I think what's interesting is a lot yeah. of people see four on the scorecard and they think, I got to make a four. Well, if you're a very novice golfer, you should almost sometimes just play it as it's a five. And if you play par fours as if they were par fives, how interesting your mindset and mentality shifts just by that number changing, but the hole hasn't changed mm, at all. Does that yeah, because I'm letting someone else tell me what I should do, right? So I've I've already had my expectations set, and those expectations are for someone with a lot more practice and experience than me. That shouldn't yeah. be my expectation. That's so right. Like it doesn't matter how bad I do, if I show up to a par four, I'm like, all right. This is, I got to get it to my, my second shot needs to be going onto the green. Right. right. And that is, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, I have used an example similar to that in decision-making when it comes to investment planning. And there was a, a friend of mine who had taken some golf lessons and he said, after the person that the coach said, all right, I want you to go play a round of golf and then come back and, you know, we'll talk about it. And, uh, so he goes and he plays and, you know, three hours or whatever, you know, he comes back and the guy says, so, all right, tell, so tell me about your round. He goes, Oh, it's great. You know, had a good, had a good time, you know, good weather, you know, felt good. And he goes, what? <laughs> he goes, don't, that's bullshit. Don't give me that kind of analysis. Yeah. <laughs> what did you hit on the first one? What was your score? What was, you know, <laughs> how many birdies did you get? How many over? I mean, he was like really digging into the numbers and he goes, Oh, this is a whole level a different level of analysis that I'm used to. <laughs> he goes, let's yeah. do it here. And yeah. the, the, advice this guy said he goes all right so how you play a good round of golf is not hitting you know killing it off the the tee or hitting this massive shot with your three wood he goes that's not how you have a good round how you have a good round is simply not being in the weeds mm -hmm. just, just don't get in the weeds yeah and i took that analogy and started talking to clients about that when you know looking at building investment plans and things like that and i said you know all we're trying to do with this investment model here and this approach to goal achievement is not hitting in the weeds we're just trying to not have you you know fall off course and not meet your goal because we're just trying to meet the goal and that that seemed to resonate when we started talking about decision making as it as it relates to investments uh, and seemed to really make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think that's it's very interesting. I, I think on the point we were talking about with if you with the numbers on the scorecard, if you're a parse, if you're playing a par seventy two, 
And if you've never broken 90 before, like go into the scorecard and just add one to every par. If you approach every par four as a par five, par five as a par six, par three as a par four, like treat it like that and, and try. To, and, and if you do that, like that par is now a 90. So there's going to yeah. be par fours where you make a four, but you wrote down five is what the par is. But it's so funny. I, you I know, like that's going to help people a lot. That's like the, the entire point of the handicap. And, yeah. and you had to explain it like I'm five years old for me to get it <laughs> to go. Oh, that's, that's how we have to do it with you. Sanger. We're doing our best. <laughs> <There we go. laughs> At least you've caught on. I mean, <laughs> took you that long to catch on too, but it's okay. But you got it. You're there. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm proud of you. you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Awesome. So I'm adding three strokes to every hole. Yeah. So that puts you at uh, a nine on every hole. Something there like you that. Go. Yeah. Something there like. you go. I'm not that bad. No, I know you're not that bad. I know you've broken 90. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. I think you, I think you're very optimistic. Uh, I appreciate that. I thought um, we said through 13 holes, you did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. So, so Jeremy, you are not playing golf every day. You're out speaking and uh, talking with people, and it... yeah, uh, golf and blind golf is like the the hobby and the passion, and, and definitely helps make the story better. I play in the national championship almost every year. Um, there's a world championship every other year. This year, there the USGA announced a new tournament. It's the Adaptive Open Championship. Uh, and the inaugural was in Pinehurst this year, uh, and it was last nice. month. And I competed in that, which was amazing. By far the coolest tournament I've ever played in. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm an inspirational speaker, and I do that full time. And really, I speak at a number of events per month. Try to do the events that, that I can add value, where I can inspire folks, educate and entertain them and, and have a good time while doing it. I just, I just plant seeds, right? I plant seeds of ideas, key takeaways, thoughts and ideas. And then they need to water those those seeds and hopefully they can sprout and, and change their lives in some way. How can people get a hold of you? I'm pretty accessible on LinkedIn, on Instagram. My website is my full name, jeremypointsno.com. My email is jeremy at jeremypointsno.com. And I, I share a bi-weekly, every other week newsletter that's called Points of Perspective. And it's just little quips, little stories um, that are things that I think provide perspective for people and little things that I, I, I find interesting that are 500 words or less. Just a, every other Tuesday, they come out and it's just a way to kind of make people think about things a little differently. Hey, thanks. Thanks for talking to us, taking Absolutely. time out. Uh, Absolutely. It was yeah. good to, it was it was good awesome. to see you again and talk to you again. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I'll keep you updated on how Sanger and I do with our... Uh, <laughs> With our with our golf, I, know I, I shoot you a text every now and then and tell you when we have a good. Oh, Dude, I've it. been practicing like so much. I, I between the the last twelve months, I've probably played more golf than I did my entire life. And I think I first good, started man. when I was like eight, maybe uh, nine, at least no no older than nine, because I remember going to a, on a trip to New Mexico with my grandparents and we played golf there. And I remember I was nine. Um, yeah. So like I, I had the benefit of learning kind of how to swing yeah. right um, early and not having to pick it up when I'm, you know, 30 and right. then it's awkward and you kind of never really learn. Um, yeah. But I've, I've focused so much on the stuff like that, that you taught Sean, uh, just listening to people, you know, trying to dissect off YouTube. I've done everything but hire a real coach, which might be my problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> and my scores they're not any better. I just hmm. don't have the penalties. Like I don't completely screw it up. Yeah. You're not embarrassing. Yourself. I'm not embarrassing myself. I hit the ball and it goes in the direction that I was aiming general, like meaning it, it doesn't go behind me, which is one risk that I had playing, you know, a few oh, years ago. I, I had that, you know, when I was in high school, I uh, worked at a golf shop. So this is yeah. my first exposure to golf. Yeah, I'm working this golf shop and I'm, you know, like a sophomore in high school and I don't know anything. And the, the perk was that once the last member was off the course, yeah, we could play oh, until awesome. we couldn't see anymore. So we could, we awesome. could squeeze in maybe four holes at this, you know, when cool. premier club in, in Fort Worth. Cool. And so the last <laughs> one of these days I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to play, you know, so I got some old clubs from a garage sale or something like that. And I'm like, I'm going to play. And I was very excited. And so the last member came in. 
all right, so I could grab a cart. I grabbed a cart and I, you know, I'm at the first hole, but there's members there, oh, right? Geez. I mean, people are still kind of milling around because it's right by the clubhouse. Yeah. And so I, I tee up, I, I should have, I should have just driven to like the second hole or something like that, but sure. I, I didn't know what I was doing. So I yeah. tee up and I, I, I'm trying to hit this ball. This ball goes through my legs behind me, oh, hits the golf cart, bounces <laughs> straight up, bounces again on the concrete and all these, <laughs> these members are scattered. Oh gosh. <laughs> you know, like, I just oh, took man. the one. I just left. I'm like, maybe, maybe another day. Oh, maybe man. I shouldn't be That's practicing funny. on the first hole. Dang. It's so embarrassing. So we're past well, that point. Yeah, that's our well, goal. Yeah, I'm past that. I'm past that. I don't do that. Yeah. Sanger, I think uh, you not seeing a coach yet is like your clients trying to do investments on their own and expecting results. See, I I knew that was I coming. Knew, I knew, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, as and soon as right. you said it, as soon you're as you right. said it. I mean, that is true. If you want yeah. results, if you're just going to have See, fun, I, I just tell totally myself fine. I don't want to get better. That's fine. If that's I mean, what I you am want, having fun. Good, I mean, I'm not going to win anything. I'm 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 dinking around. Yeah, we're um, actually in Sanger's new studio that looks out over the uh, the golf course. Golf so it course is we beautiful. play it every week. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, that's awesome. That's way cool. Yeah. Well, if you want to beat pops, I mean, getting getting a lesson here or there. Oh, I think just, you already do that. Oh, yeah. then you're chilling. But a simple lesson goes a long way, and <laughs> okay. a lot of people want to spend money on the newest driver because they think it's going to get them 20 more yards. But honestly, that money is better to go to a pro to get a lesson. And then it's really to me just making sure your technical stuff is good. Um, and then course management. If you have those things, then you can get you can get to be pretty good. It's the course management thing that's challenging. It that's is. where we really yeah. don't know what we're we, doing. We we don't know if we're hitting a you know a five iron or a seven iron or whatever. I'm uh, yeah. it Usually we, we will we will play holes where we'll take a shot from the same spot and we'll be two club links different on our well what we think yeah yeah sure like, you know like i don't the, know the sure. biggest challenge that i i'll have is the decision making on on club selection because i'll feel like i understand oh i should be hitting this club about this far i should hit my you know nine iron a uh, 110 yards or whatever it is and then next week i'll go play and i'm like oh i'm 110 yards out let me pull out the nine iron this is exactly this shot was made for the nine iron take it out and i'm 20 yards short and i yeah. feel like i hit the ball perfect or yeah. i'm 30 yards long and i'm like i don't know is it the wind was it the wind? yeah like it's not windy it's not uphill what's going on it's probably the inconsistency of the strike so one day we'll figure that out you're correct i will i i now have no excuse to not get a coach you've been if told. you want it if I've that's been, what you want if you don't want it you know then then it's not necessary. But if you're like, you know what? Like, I, I do want some answers to this. A coach will help you out a lot. I want to be able to know what advice to not take because I see so much crap on YouTube or, yeah. you know, just any social media. I get golf stuff everywhere. And um, there's always some guy with some tip always. that looks completely different from the last guy's tip. Yeah. And that's a little bit like what we talked about earlier of too much information. Oh, and I, yeah, I probably took Jeremy's tip and, and oh, screwed I'm sure, it up. I'm sure you would die inside if you saw oh, how yeah, you, you'd probably correct whatever oh, I was man. doing. I'm like, no, this is what Jeremy told me. And you'd look at that and go, I did not tell you to do that. I, based on what you said, I'm like, wait, what? Uh, I don't think I told you to face the target when you hit the shot. Well, no, you probably didn't, but, uh, oh, I'm yeah, nervous. Yeah. If you if I come see you again and you're like, this is what you taught me, and you chip a certain way that's not at all how I taught you, I'm gonna. I tell you what, I won't we'll tell do. anybody. I won't tell anybody else. It came from you. <laughs> Only if you hit a good shot. If you chip it close, I, I don't want to sully you your name. Shot. Yeah, I won't man. tell anybody. Yeah. Only if it works. We'll reveal yeah. afterwards whether it's something that we got from Jeremy or we just totally made up on our own. Yeah, please do. Please, thank you. <laughs> just for my reputation, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my takeaway from our discussion with jeremy is really about minimizing the distractions and focusing on what your decision really needs to to be he was talking about how when he's looking at hitting a shot 
how he has his dad not tell him about here's the lake over here, here's the tree over here, here's the bunker before the hole, but just focusing on the decision he has to make, what he has to accomplish, and not focusing on what he has to not do. And so I thought that was an interesting takeaway. Yeah, I agree. My biggest takeaway from our conversation was when Jeremy talked about high scoring golf, elite golf is boring. And what he meant is that you've got to minimize the risk taking behavior, the high risk shots to hit low scores. And that's true with everything. I mean, that's true with meeting your financial goals. That's true with being an elite uh, quarterback. Like Tom Brady is not known for the 65 yard bombs. He's known for the, the eight yard short pass. And if we apply that in the areas that we're really looking to be elite and be um, at the top of our game, I think we would eliminate a lot of fancy shots, fancy investments, long throws, and avoid a lot of heartbreak, injury, and big mistakes. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at decidedlypodcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.